Welcome back to another Cardinals Off Day podcast. We're here at an actual off day during the actual season. Uh, The Cardinals have had an opening day. They lost, uh, and we're back. Uh, This is Ben Godar here, as always, uh, with my good friend Ben Humphrey. Ben, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing well, even though it was not the best result or result for the St. Louis Cardinals today. Um, But... uh, the regular season has begun and it was really nice to just see all of the, the baseball, uh, you know, gifts and video and, uh, observations flood social media. Um, it's really nice to have the season started and, uh, moving forward. So I'm excited and happy, even if the Cardinals didn't have a great result today. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we say it every year, it's more of a religion and a ritual, I think, than anything else, the baseball season. And uh, it always feels good to have that ritual back. So I'm, I'm much happier to, to have the ritual back in my life than I could be disappointed from the result of, uh, of one game. So uh, we were talking a little bit before we started recording. I think the main takeaway uh, that we were concerned about, of course, was the Wilson Contreras injury, which as, as Ben and I are recording this just shortly after the game ended, the initial reports that we heard was that the x-rays were negative, but they were going to do some more testing. So I think that's probably the biggest concern is just if there was potentially any serious injury there. Um, Ben, any other kind of takeaways or concerns you have after that first game? Um, You know, I, I would caution everyone to be careful about treating this like a college football game, you know, and we often joke about uh, football brain and, kind of infecting baseball analysis and you you never want to blow a game too much out of proportion um but it's easy to do after opening day because of all the pageantry um and then you also have you know after the game the built-in off day uh and so you really if if it's a win you get to feel good for pretty much you know like two days and if it's a loss, uh, you kind of have to stew with it for about two days. And so the the pull of that to treat it like a football game and break it down in that way, you know, it's strong. But, you know, it's one of 162 games. We have 161 games to go. Uh, obviously, the Contreras situation is, is the most important and most concerning. Um, but other than, th- than that, I think, you know, when you look, at the way that the lineup played uh, it looks after one game, you got a taste of kind of the depth that hasn't been there for several seasons um, and kind of how it comes in waves after you. And, you know, Brendan Donovan and Lars Newtbar at the top of the lineup really did what you expect them to do. You, the, the guy who invented the pepper grinder for grinding out at bats and, uh, you know, kind of his partner in crime at the top of the lineup. They really, they really did some grinding uh, today against uh, you know some good Blue Jays pitchers. And so, uh, I I think overall it was uh, obviously disappointing that they lost. But but there were there were some positives to take away from the game as well, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. And uh, I'm excited to see how the team uh, evolves as the season progresses. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that lineup depth, I think, is is for real. And, uh, you know, you saw the, the you know, Tyler O'Neill home run and then, you know, uh, the obviously Jordan Walker's base hit. It's always exciting to see a rookie get that that first hit and, uh, you know, very legit hard hit ball. And and you just you, you see you get to the, the back end of that lineup and you've got O'Neill and Walker and Gorman. And uh, we're used to seeing Cardinals teams where, you know, once you get past, say, four or five, it's like, all right, well, we got to kind of roll through the dregs and get back to the top of the lineup uh, before we can score again. And it's it's pretty clear that this is not going to be that kind of a lineup. This is going to be any inning, wherever you are, damage can happen at any any moment. And, and that's going to be exciting throughout the season. And so I think we can count on that. Obviously, uh, you know, a lot of... Uh, a lot of pitchers gave up a lot of hits and runs today, but it's one game, so we're not going to read too much into that. And and and, the, and to that point, uh, the Blue Jays have a very deep lineup too. Yes, you know, like, 100%. And, and I think it was, uh, you know, when you don't have pitchers that can get a lot of swings and misses, you're really playing with fire, with, uh, you know, yes. generally. But with a team like the Blue Jays, you're especially playing with fire. And to circle it back around to the Cardinals lineup, I mean, they went toe-to-toe with the Blue Jays today. Um, yeah. And, uh, and they didn't come out on top, but they were right there with them. And yeah. I thought that was very impressive, uh, as you said, for a team where we, we haven't had that kind of depth to just basically start out game one and just exchange uh, punches, so to speak, to continue the boxing metaphor. Uh you know, with this Blue Jays lineup, I, I thought that was impressive and uh, pretty heartening. Uh, and hopefully it continues. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, we've, we've allowed ourselves a, a few comments on that opening game. But uh, again, don't let yourself suffer football brain. Uh, don't uh, don't make too many conclusions. Don't uh, worry too much about anything that you saw. And uh, so as such, we're not going to go through our usual what did we learn, uh, et cetera, uh, this episode. Instead, we're just going to dive into your questions. We've had a number of questions come in both kind of before the season started and and here just in the last couple days. So we're just going to kind of do an all-mailbag episode today. And Ben, our very first question comes from uh, our good friend Micah, uh, who is Devant, who, uh, of course, uh, uh, created our uh, theme music uh, and has a new album out as well that everybody should check out on your favorite uh, streaming service. Uh, and uh, Devon asks, do I have to see Dakota Hudson all season? And I should point out that this question, this is one of the oldest questions we have in the mailbag. This did actually come in right before it was announced that Dakota Hudson was going down to the minor leagues. Uh, so, Ben, what do you think? Does does Micah have to see Dakota Hudson all season? Uh, I don't think he's going to see much of Dakota Hudson uh, this season. I We touched on this uh in the season preview a little bit uh with the question of how many starts we thought hudson might make for the pittsburgh pirates this year um but but in all seriousness um you know i i think we we will probably see a little bit of him but if we do see him i think it's going to be kind of about as much as we saw jake woodford last year uh maybe a little bit less and so uh i just i I don't think we're going to see a lot of Dakota Hudson this year unless things go uh, very badly on the health front, which, of course, they could because they're they're pitchers and pitchers tend to get hurt. So uh, I'm not I'm not too worried about having to watch a whole lot of Dakota Hudson pitching this year. 
Um, and even if we do, Ben, the pitch clock is going to spare us a little bit of the usual pain and suffering uh, that Hudson inflicts because not only does he not throw strikes and allow a lot of base runners, he used to take a lot of time in between pitches as well, and he's not going to be able to do that uh, if and when we, we see him this year. Yeah, I I, uh, I mean, w- what we saw in spring was not good. The velocity was way down. So if we see him at all, I think it will be because he's he's made some major improvements. So I think either we won't see him at all, or if we do see him, it's because he has made some some improvements, and hopefully there's um, you know reason for optimism. Our next question comes from Greg Maturin. The front office doesn't like bidding wars, but it likes to trade for stars in their walk years and then woo them to stay as free agents. Do you think it is at all possible that the team trades for Otani at the deadline? What would it take to get it? Herrera plus Graceffo, Herrera plus Gorman slash Donovan. What does a successful season for Nolan Gorman look like? What does a great season look like? I think we start with Otani and go to Gorman. Uh, Ben, take it away. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, first of all, who wouldn't love to have Shohei Otani? Um, and I think especially after seeing the uh, Otani Newtbar bromance, um, I think we Cardinals fans are even more excited about the idea of what Otani would, would look like in St. Louis. Um, but I think there is zero chance that the St. Louis Cardinals trade for Shohei Otani. And uh, the reason is, I, I don't think they could possibly put together a package uh, to get Shohei Otani because uh, any package that they could put together, AJ Preller will beat. Because AJ Preller is a maniac, and uh, <laughs> he will outbid them. And the the Cardinals are rationalists who will will never uh, go to the insane lengths that A.J. Preller, and I'm using A.J. Preller both literally but also figuratively for the way certain other, uh, uh, you know, front offices operate. The Cardinals aren't going to go to the lengths that that some front offices generally and the Padres specifically are going to go to for Otani if Otani is, in fact, available at this trade deadline. So I just don't see it as being, um, you know, I don't see it being possible um, and feasible um, the the questioner's right. It is a Cardinals move to do the trade for stars in the walk year and then get them to re-sign. I mean, I don't think there's any chance that Otani doesn't go on to the free agent market. I mean, he's such a unicorn of a player. I mean, he, he almost has to. I mean, he, he owes it to the market, <laughs> you know, to see what, what he could possibly get out there. So it's hard for me to imagine that he would, uh, you know, uh, anywhere that he might go via trade that he would then uh, sign an extension uh, without, uh, you know, testing the free agent um, waters. So, so Ben, maybe before we, we dive into Gorman, what do you, what do you think on the Otani question? Uh, I, in the off season, I would have said maybe there was a little bit more of a chance, but as, as you look at the way the team is positioned and structured, I, I don't think they're going to, they won't pay the price it will cost in prospects mm-hmm. because that will be too that'll be past their puke point to use Michael Gersh's term. Yeah. Uh, and then they wouldn't be able to sign him because yeah. as you say, he's a unicorn. They they don't 
they don't sign, you know, thoroughbred horses, let alone unicorns, you know, yeah. like a thoroughbred horse is out of their price range uh, for the most part uh, yeah. on the free agent market. And Otani's going to go on the free agent market and he's going to max out and then he's going to go play for the Dodgers or the Yankees. Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe the Padres get involved, but I I totally agree with you. There's virtually no chance that it will happen. Yeah, and, and even if even if you wanted to imagine a world where the card and, and, and the Cardinals have a rich, rich farm system. So so yes, there's a hypothetical scenario where the Cardinals could choose to put together a bigger package of prospects than anybody else, but they, they wouldn't do it because that would be uh, pushing all your chips in uh, win now window for this year move. And that is just that is not what they do. That's just a hundred percent not what they do. So they just they, you know for for yet another reason they they would not do it. Um, so what does a successful season for Nolan Gorman look like? What does a great season for Nolan Gorman look like? Um, you know, I think for really the first like sixty percent or so of last season, we 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 saw a successful season for Nolan Gorman. I think he was on his way to a pretty successful season, you know, and then it really trailed off. Um, you know, I don't have, um, you know, I mean, I, I, Nolan Gorman, I think if he's going to, you know, be a guy who's, who's maybe, uh, you know, halftime designated hitter, halftime, you know, second base, third base, which is kind of the sense that I get that they want with him. I don't, uh, we'll see, maybe they, they'll let him, DH a little more than that, but I just think they don't want to relegate him that too much to DH. Um, uh, you know, I mean, I, I think they're going to want to see him, you know, in the, you know, 120, uh, you know, OPS plus, you know, kind of range, um, you know, to be, uh, you know, successful. Um, that, that's kind of, I, I would think that's kind of the, basically the, the, you know, offensive power they're looking for there. For a guy who's really only contributing with his bat, I would think kind of that and up is really what they're what they're hoping to to get out of him. Um, uh, just if I had to put a number on it, Ben, I don't know what are you what are you thinking? Yeah, it's uh, to me the the barometer of success is going to be uh, strikeout rate and home runs, and it's you know there's there's kind of a an equilibrium there where, you know, if he's hitting a lot of home runs, you can live with a little bit more strikeouts, but, you know, I think the, the light kind of starts to flash red when you get up into the upper twenties and, and probably they're not happy if he's in the thirties with strikeout rate, but they can live with it. If he's, if he's hitting 30, 35, 40 home runs in there. And so, you know, I think, uh, Dan Moore, uh, who used to be the the site manager at Viva Albertos who brought me on to Viva Albertos way back when. Uh, and he had a tweet along the lines when Gorman had that, like, it, w- it would have been like a slap single for Edmund or Donovan, I think. And uh, over the weekend, and Gorman just kind of stuck his body in a weird way and hit it over the center field fence. And, uh, you know, when you see that, you see that power and uh and so i i think that's what you're looking at the team wants to maximize the power and minimize the whiff and so that's how you're going to look at what's successful for him and if he's at like 20 
I don't know, let's say uh, 25 to 27 percent rate. It's a very successful season for him, I think. And a great season is going to be like below 25 percent strikeout rate and, uh, you know, like around 30 home runs, I think. Um, that, that's, that's about what I would say my kind of uh, benchmarks would be. Yeah, yep. I, I, I'd agree with that. So Trev uh, at Babe Ruth asks, and we've got a number of questions here in this one question. Are the Cardinals at risk of being relegated? Um, uh, any concern with Yachty's pacing in the dugout while managing Team Puerto Rico? Do the Cards need a hurler with a splitter? And did Cards Nation win or lose the WBC? So you got quite a few there, Ben. You want to you wanna burn through those? Yes, I will. Um, I I don't think they're at risk of being relegated because of their depth. I you know they're uh, and I've I my wife and I have started watching Ted Lasso, um, and so uh, I'm of course in the back of my mind thinking of European soccer relegation. Um, but no, they're uh, if you're talking about being relegated, like say to a second tier National League team, I don't think they're in danger at all. Uh, the concern with Yachty pacing in the dugout while managing Team Puerto Rico is similar to the level of concern I have watching a tiger pace in a cage in a zoo. Uh, he's a in, he's a beautiful wild beast that is not meant to be contained by a dugout. He's supposed to be out on the field playing. And so I do worry about his mental health in such a limited role. But I think he will. And I I think, you know, some of the good reporting on his experience as Puerto Rico's manager, uh, in particular by Katie Wu at The Athletic, I think suggests that he's beginning to adapt to that more uh, limited role as manager. And I think he'll wind up being a good one who does a lot less pacing. Um, do they need a hurler with a splitter? Um, I don't think they need one, uh, but hurlers with splitters, I think, are a lot of fun to watch. So I would love if they got one. Um, because I think it's really fun to watch pitchers who deploy that pitch. Um, and did Cars Nation win or lose the World Baseball Classic? I mean, I think with Lars Newtbar becoming an international superstar, I, it, it, and I understand, you know, the the Cardinals who were on Team USA were unable to win. Uh, but when you look at just how many players the Cardinals had, both minor leaguers, big leaguers, and then the undeniable breakout. Uh, of Lars Newtbar as a charismatic baseball star, uh, I, I think it's safe to say the Cardinals won the World Baseball Classic. Yep, I uh, agree with every one of your uh, every one of your responses there, Ben. All right, moving on. Uh, Sarah Ann asks, "Do you think Lars Newtbar is the answer for world peace?" Uh, I think clearly Lars Newbar is the answer for world peace. Um, I, I think it's hard to overstate how amazing it is that Lars Newbar was the first non-Japanese-born player to ever play for Team Japan, um, showed up there, and within about three games... Uh, so first off, let's just take that first off. I think, Ben, if you or I were in that role... Wouldn't we just kind of like keep our head down, be respectful, be like, hey, I'm happy to be here. 
just going to kind of follow everyone else's lead. Isn't that how you would play that? Uh, yeah, I I would, um, especially when you think about the language barrier. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. So it's really easy to keep your head down because, you know, yeah. it's you you know you have translators some of the other players are uh speak english and and you can talk to them uh you know some probably yeah. do not uh but like you, you know it who would didn't be play very it? easy to yeah. keep the, your head down and do that you know you know who didn't play it that way though was Lars Nubar because within about 3 games uh he had been crowned emperor of japan and they actually haven't had an emperor for many years they revived the position to crown him that um, no, but became a, a beloved figure on the team, uh, you know, internationally, had a, a, a ramen dish named after him, uh, sold out pepper grinders around the country. Um, you know, but I think what's so great about Lars is just that he, he does it from just such a, a genuine, good-natured place. And it's just his, his enthusiasm and his spirit that is so infectious and it's not a, you know, it's not a kind of, it's not a try hard kind of, uh, uh, you know, look at me, I'm trying to be a social media influencer kind of thing. Um, there's just a real genuineness to it. And so um, I, I think for that reason, Lars Newbar is the answer to world peace. Yes. Uh, all we need to do is get him over into the Kremlin and it'll just take care of itself. Uh, there's not a great not a great track record of professional athletes uh, going over to uh, Russia lately, Ben. So I'm gonna I'm gonna veto that idea. So no, I mean I'm thinking it's gonna go like Rocky Four, like he's he's oh. gonna be the real life Rocky Balboa. If I can it, change, it, it, yeah. you can change. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. Well, you know we get hope for the best, I guess. So it's a different different time, but uh, we'll hope for the best. All right, Jake at Badwall Jaker asks, who has a higher FR in 2023, uh, Adam Wainwright or Jake Woodford? Well, Jake Woodford's going to have a head start, and uh, that's a tough question, uh, but I, I'm going to go with Wainwright uh, because I think, and just by all accounts, he is going to miss several weeks, which is a – on the one hand, kind of somewhat concerningly vague. Uh, but on the other, no one seems genuinely worried that it's going to be like months. You, you know what I mean? And so I think Wainwright's going to come back. And uh, the Cardinals have consistently shown that no one after Tony Larusa has much interest in managing Adam Wainwright. Uh, so unless he's just total garbage when he comes back, uh, I think he's going to get the opportunity to amass his innings pitched uh, and some FOR with it. Uh, now that being said, like he's only an average pitcher, so he's he's probably already down around two FOR as a best case scenario. So, you know, maybe if if Woodford gets off on the right foot, he could catch him. But nonetheless, uh, I'm going to go with Wainwright because he is he is they drew a Cardinal to look like him on the cover of the scorecard. They let him sing the national anthem at the start of the opening day today. You know, this is a guy who's going to get every opportunity uh, this year to start and uh, throw as many innings as he can and get as many pitching quote unquote wins uh, as he can. So I'm going with Adam Wainwright. 
Yeah, I'd agree. Um, I mean, I certainly have concerns about Adam Wainwright, given his age, given how he looked in spring training uh, and the World Baseball Classic, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But come on, folks, we're talking about Adam Wainwright and we're talking about Jake Woodford here. So um, I don't remember if it's my turn to read this next question or your turn, Ben. Where are we at? Uh, I think it's mine. Okay. Uh, Dan Chibnall, our friend Dan Chibnall, uh, asks... Which MLB teams do you look at and say, I wish the Cardinals would do more of that when it comes to development, free agent signings, trades, contracts, etc.? Is there a team or teams that you think really hits the nail on the head? Um, yeah, and I, I feel like I'm going to give pretty maybe kind of obvious and uninteresting answers to this, Ben. And I don't know, maybe you have some deeper cuts than I do. Maybe there's some, some real indie teams out there that you're, um, that you're into. Um, I, I feel like I talk about the Dodgers here all the time. I mean, they're, you know, I think the, you know, st- you know, have been kind of the, you know, uh, the, 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 the class uh, of baseball from player development to um, the way they operate and, you know, free agent signing, um, you know, uh, etc. But honestly, the Braves, I think, are, are, are just slightly below them. Um, you know, uh, the Braves don't do a whole lot of free agent acquisition, but the Braves just replenish at an amazing, amazing rate. Their, their internal development is unbelievable. So I'd put them really high up there as well. Um, you know, the, the Guardians and the Rays, I think, have just, you know, uh, you know, decade plus of just, you know, amazing drafting, amazing, you know, player development, um, teams that seem to, you know, kind of like the Cardinals tend to not really like lose a lot of trades, you know, just really, you know, do a great job. Um, however, teams that don't operate with real high payrolls. And so that kind of ultimately suppresses their results. But but what they're doing on that end is pretty strong. Um, I mean, obviously, the Astros are really good, but, you know, screw those guys for a variety of reasons. I'm not going to give them the satisfaction. Um, I mean, those are the ones that come to mind for me. What are, who are you thinking about? Um, you know, trying to break it down uh, into the, the various categories. When it comes to drafting and developing position players, I, I think the Cardinals have turned the corner and I think they seem to be implementing some of the things that you see. Uh, they're, they're catching up on some of these teams that have been the gold standard for a few years now. Yeah. Um, you know, spe- especially in terms of technology and, and helping players use data and have a blueprint for how to, uh, you know, really accentuate their strengths and how to bring up their weaknesses so that they're better players all around. Um, and so on the position player side, you know, I feel really good with where they are right now. Uh, yeah. and, and that even comes with how they're acquiring them as well. I mean, even if you look at, um, you know, the, the free agency versus trade, you know, they aren't going out, but they, they, and getting a lot of big money free agents, but they went out and got the best free agent in their biggest uh, position of need this off season. Uh, he may only play one game this year. Uh, but, <laughs> I mean, no, we have no reason to believe that, but uh, you know, when you look at that, they, they were aggressive on that front and they went out and got it done. And then they, 
they used their prospect depth to get two MVP candidates who are who are excellent all around players. Right. And now they're supplementing it. I mean, it is the wallet ball on the position player side through and through. Yeah. And you know, could I spend more of Bill DeWitt's money? Yes. But if I were going to spend more of Bill DeWitt's money, I would do it on pitching because yes. I I still I think that when they had Mike Maddox, they were in a bit of a rut on the oh. on the pitching side and i don't know if that's organization wide i think they also seem to be making some kind some progress on that front in terms of how to use the new technology and the new metrics and yeah uh my hope is that they get better but i i wish they were more like uh the dodgers the rays and the astros with identifying how to get swings and misses and how to get weak contact and those all of those organizations seem to be much more hands-on from you know throughout the development process with developing these uh pitchers and their and their arsenals and so i wish they were a little bit more like that and were developing more swing and miss uh pitchers uh coming up through the system. And if they aren't going to do that, I wish they would go buy some on the free agent market because that is what they are missing. And, uh, and I, it's very evident. Like when you get into the postseason and you look around, you know, there are a lot of pitchers who can strike a lot of guys out playing in October and hardly any of those pitchers wear the birds on the bat. And I think they need to change that. Yeah. And I think one of the biggest changes that has happened in the last, I would say five to 10 years is, you know, we used to just talk about drafting basically. And it was, it was just how well does your organization draft players, but player development is, is a real, and obviously you had to then sort of shepherd those players through and provide them a nurturing enough environment that they progressed from level to level. But there is this very real thing now of identifying, um, undervalued assets out there and, and identifying guys who have maybe an underlying skill and uh, bringing them in into a, whether it's a lab setting or something like that and working with them to maybe, uh, you know, shape a pitch or to um, adjust a swing plane or things like that. And the organizations that are, you know, and it started in your drive lines and you're kind of, you're more like independent places, but the, the organizations that are really advanced are, are doing that in house now. And, and they're, um, and they're taking players who were not heralded draft picks and were not valued assets in one organization. And they're, you know, they're turning them into, you know, Chris Taylor, or they're turning them into, you know, um, you know, really valuable pieces. Um, uh, you know, I mean, half the Astros, that's who, that's what they are, you know, is their, their guys that they did that with. Um, and so, uh, you know, that's, that's something that, um, some other organizations are have been faster to develop than the Cardinals have for sure. Yeah, I uh, I think that they're beginning to to move forward in that area, and they're doing much more with technology. They have the new uh, app or system called Chirps to help with the data and the metrics. They're completely redoing their uh, their whole setup. Uh, at spring training there at Roger Dean, their, their whole uh, 
facility is going to be revamped. So I think by the time Moselock leaves, I, I think he anticipates they're going to be where he wants them to be. And then I think he's going to step back uh, and do something different, either with the organization or elsewhere. So hopefully he has uh, put in place the vision and sees it through. And it's as effective as it seems to be here uh, as we move further along in that uh, plan. Um, Alex, uh, Chris, or is it oh, your yeah. turn? But... Oh, I think it's my turn. Yeah, our, our, uh, our another good friend of ours, Alex Chrisafuli, uh, Alex Card seventy nine asks, "What is your favorite defensive play by Ozzy?" Uh, two stipulations, and I'm glad this one's going to you, Ben, because this is you know from Alex to you. These are probably you know probably two of the biggest Ozzy Smith fans that I know. Um, uh, two stipulations. Number one, must pick one from when he was a Cardinal. So no barehanded grab off the bad bounce when he was a Padre. And two, you can pick only one, but maybe have a second one on deck in case uh, the other Ben takes uh, takes yours first. Um, you know, I'm I'm gonna kind of take a cop out instead of choosing a play. Um, I'm going to choose a a play that he made over and over again. And it was the double play turn where he would kind of take the ball running through the base and Mm -hmm. jump over the base runner. And to me, that's like the kind of one of the quint cause it's, it's very like acrobatic. Um, I have a poster on my wall of him doing it to a Montreal expo um, (laughs) uh, right now uh, over my left shoulder and and so I'm gonna say, just that genre of the double play turn where he's moving, and and acrobatically jumping over the base runner so that he has no contact with the base runner. Yeah, uh, that was definitely uh, one that jumped to mind for for me as well, or a kind of play. And I I have to say, for me, um, similarly, there's. Uh, it's it's more of a, a a type of play, and although there's a specific, uh, there's one specific instance I remember, and I can't tell you the specific game, um, even, but I just it's you see it on every highlight package, it, um, and it was a it was a ball up the middle, a really hard hit ground ball that he got to on the second base side of. Um, uh, of the bag, which these days you see all the time. But back when the you know everybody played in the standard position, it was just like I had never seen a shortstop get to a ball all the way onto the second base side before. And and so that and Ben, I see you nodding, so I think you know the play that I'm I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, and and uh, and then of course you know he gets to his feet and throws the runner out too. Um, you know, so that one in particular, but then actually, similarly, there was one and like the 82 World Series. I don't remember. I don't have like first hand memories of I was too young um, to, to remember that. But I've watched the video since then. And there is a play in that World Series where there's a, a similar ball that he gets to in the hole. It's actually the hole between short and third, which you actually rarely see shortstops get to. And it's like the camera cuts to a fairly standard camera angle between there and you just think that's a base hit going through there and his body flies into the shot yeah. like it it feels like 
it, it, it's it, it just feels out of place like a, a body should not be there and it's jarring like it you know he should not be there but he uh, he makes it happen and um anyway uh, so you know that's one specific play and i guess two kind of specific plays but you know back in the day when guys had those standard positions just every ball that was hit and then you cut to the camera angle, you just had a feeling of either it's a hit or it's not a hit. You just knew like where it was going. But yeah. with Ozzy, he would get to balls that you, you just, you knew they were hits and then suddenly he was there. So that's what kind of stands out to me. Yeah. Those are two good ones. Uh, another great play that you see on a lot of the highlight reels is the play where he makes he's going out and the outfielder's coming in. Yes. And you think the outfielder is going to catch the ball, but then Ozzy yeah. Smith diving towards the outfield wall uh, makes the catch, and it's just a ridiculous play, yes. just on AstroTurf, no less. Uh, yeah. And like, and that's the other thing about Ozzy Smith is with his range. So often he's making plays on AstroTurf that. You know, it, it was it was just a different game, and and it's hard to really explain to folks if you if you didn't watch baseball on AstroTurf, you know how many ground balls were just base hits, you, you know, because yeah. it it really it really moved on that AstroTurf more, and that's where like you know the play you're talking about from the '82 World Series, um, but but a lot of the other ones too, where you've got this camera angle and it is, it's just like you said, like this is a single on grass. It's especially a single on AstroTurf, but then all of a sudden Ozzy Smith uh, bursts into the camera frame, like Jim Edmonds coming out of the luxury box during a Scott Rowland interview by Jim, the cat Hayes, uh, you know, just completely unexpected t- takes you by surprise uh, and is uh what made him so much fun to watch and earned him the nickname, the wizard. Yeah. hundred percent. All right. Bronson Hayes asks, uh, a key principle of DeWitt ball seems to be to hold assets until they have eroded all meaningful value and move for pennies on the dollar. See Lane Thomas, Randy Rosarena, and what is sure to happen with Yepes and Burleson. Why is a team so intent on efficiency so horrid with asset management? Uh, you know, I um, I feel like I disagree with the, the assessment here, Ben. Um, uh, Randy Rosarina was obviously a horrible trade. That was one that they they just clearly botched. Um, they did not give a Rosarena, um, you know, really any meaningful uh, look, any meaningful playing time. They did not think he was, you know, going to be anything more than a fourth or fifth outfielder. And they they moved him as such and it, it blew up in their faces. So, you know, that I would say of the names listed here, you know, that is, you know, that was one where they they horribly. uh you know, misvalued their own asset and made a bad trade. But um, I feel like that's kind of an exception. Um, you know, um, Lane Thomas, I don't think, I mean, Lane Thomas, you know, starts, you know, has started for the last couple of years for a Washington Nationals team that's basically a triple A team. I mean, that's a terrible team that he, you know, you know, that he starts for and he's pretty mediocre there. So I don't really think Lane Thomas is, 
you know, he's not any better there than he ever was here. I don't think Lane Thomas ever had any particular value. So I don't think that there was really, um, I, I don't see any point in the Lane Thomas arc that they could have really capitalized and, um, you know, necessarily gotten, uh, you know, some big return for that they didn't get. Um, likewise, and I see people talk about this with like Juan Yepes. I'm like, Folks, Juan Yepes is a quad A hitter. Like, I don't know what you think Juan Yepes is. I don't see, I, I just don't see the value there. I mean, he, and, you know, I, and look, I don't want to totally write him off. Like, maybe there's, you know, there's there's still a chance for some more development. But, I mean, all he, all he can do is hit. He can't play a defensive position. He's had trouble showing that he can even hit consistently at the major league level, uh, you know, those guys, there's, uh, you know, I, I just, I don't see a lot of value there. And, you know, Burleson is a, Burleson's TBD, obviously, you know, Burleson's, you know, uh, he's with the team right now. I mean, you know, he's a top 100 prospect. Um, so I guess, you know, we'll, we'll see. I mean, Burleson could go, you know, potentially somebody that you maybe could go a Randy or Rosarina route if they don't give Burleson playing time and then uh, it trade him away. And then it turns out, oh, he is, you know, a great asset. On the other hand, the team could still ultimately find playing time for Burleson and he could, you know, uh, be a great asset here, you know, or it could turn out that Burleson just doesn't really have it either. Burleson could turn out to be Lane Thomas still. So, um, I mean, that's, I guess that's what I would say here. You know, I, I don't, um, you know, Randy Rosarina certainly is, is, uh, an asset that they mismanaged, but the rest of these, I kind of don't necessarily see that. So to me, I don't see an overall trend there. Yeah. A Rosarena is, I, you know, they didn't let him lose all of his value. You know, they traded him. I, I think maybe they thought he was a little bit batting average on balls and play driven and they wanted to, yeah. you know, clear the log jam. Yeah. And, um, you know, he, he was not, he had not lost value. He still was very much valuable. And, and they, uh, and they did get a fairly good prospect in return for yeah. Rosarena. So, yeah. Yeah. And that fairly good prospect may mitigate how bad the yeah. trade feels as we sit here today, uh, yeah. this year and in the years ahead, because he's yeah. still under club control for a while yet. Yeah. And so the jury's still out on that trade. Yeah. Um, you know, they, they do tend to let some players, their value uh, erodes. and but, but some of that is on the players. You know, they, yeah. they don't perform. But I think you look at, you know, some players that you would say that about in my opinion, would include like a Luke Weaver and a Carson Kelly, but look who they turn those players into. They turn those players into Paul Goldschmidt. And so I I think it's a delicate balance between maintaining depth for the 162 game campaign that they have year after year, and then being able to address needs as they come up. Yeah. Um, And, you know, it's a give and take and it's, one of those situations over and over again where it's how do where do we see this person helping us out now and in the future versus what our need is now and how does this other player help us yeah. and i think overall you know it it is very difficult to argue with the arenado trade uh, how mm-hmm. they played that it's yeah. difficult to argue with the goldschmidt trade and how they played that it's difficult to argue with how they have approached uh, the outfield with Harrison Bader, they traded him probably uh, at a point, you know, with his foot issues where it was most helpful to the club getting Jordan Montgomery 
uh, for the stretch run last year and then this year. And that also freed up playing time uh, for Lars Newtbar, Mm -hmm. which I think showed a pretty good assessment of what they had there. And I think it also, uh, to an extent, helped clear some space this year for Jordan Walker. Yeah. And uh, they seem to be uh, pretty accurate in their assessment of him so far and Mason Witt. So um, I think uh, they they like to give multiple players opportunities and see who seizes those opportunities because that's the nature of Major League Baseball. And some players seize those opportunities. Other players don't. Like, you know, right now I think you would have to say Dylan Carlson – uh, has not seized the opportunity the way that they had hoped. And now Jordan Walker is getting the opportunity to do so. So uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how their assessment of the outfielders, which again, it just seems like it's a continual process of, they just have outfielders and yeah. you know, who's going to do what. And this year I think is a real make or break year for them on that front. Yeah. Well, and the other thing, and just last thing on this, it's always tough for someone who they didn't trade then you're speculating what could the return have been. And and, and we don't know, right? So yeah. you, you can project, oh my gosh, well, they probably could have gotten uh, a really great return for them. Well, maybe not. You know, it's it's very possible well, and- that, no, that nobody was interested. And it's very possible that there were, there were not great offers there. So you, you kind of set your own expectations in that case. And your expectations may or may not reflect what the market was actually going to give them. And there, there were reports... Uh, STL today, and I think a national reporter as well, that the Cardinals had a pool of players they wanted the A's to choose from for Murphy, right? And Burley and Yepes were in that pool, and the A's weren't interested in that. They wanted Newt Bar. And the Cardinals were like, no. <laughs> yeah. And so it's, you know, it's one of those things. Yeah. Could they have gone and found someone else to trade them for? I, I mean, maybe, but, you know, it's it's tough to say yeah. what the market is for two guys who are bat-first players who don't really have a defensive position that, that they are tied to. It's kind of like, I guess they're corner outfielders. You know, they might play some first base and they're going to play some DH. Well, there are a lot of guys like that in the league. And yep. so, you know, I it, it's difficult to say what two relatively unproven guys of that nature with that profile uh, would fetch uh, on the trade market. It, it certainly was not enough uh, to bring in a catcher to replace Yadier Molina. Yeah. Well, and as you said, I mean, they, you know, they, they, you know, they brought in Nolan Arenado without giving up Nolan Gorman. They gave up El Jirius Montero. You know, I mean, they, they yes. do a good job of, you know, the, uh, managing which assets they they do and do not uh, give up. Uh, Steve Gloriad asks, uh, what is your over under for Edmonds uh, wins above replacement this year? If he's top 20 in the majors again, would this cause the podcast to like him? As a player, Ben, what do you project for Edmonds wins above replacement and what would it take for you to like him as a player and as a person, um, Ben, and as a person? Well, number one, I, I think uh, that Edmonds wins above replacement. Uh, my over under would probably be about three, I think, uh, three wins above replacement. Um and, you know, my 
my feelings towards Edmund aren't really feelings towards Edmund. It's more about how people uh, who cover them talk about cover the Cardinals, like talk about Edmund and, and what his skills are and are not. And, um, and so I don't dislike Edmund as a player. I dislike Edmund as an everyday leadoff hitter though, if, if that makes sense. You, you, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. I don't like that because he's not good enough against right-handed pitching to be the leadoff hitter. I like Edmund much more as a number nine hitter, which is where he finally is. And I think we've been pretty consistent here on this podcast that we think if he plays, he should bat ninth. Um, I like Edmund as a fielder and a base runner. He's very good at that. I, his hitting profile uh, to this day doesn't really stand out to me as something that I would really want to be writing in Sharpie on my lineup card. Um, yeah. Especially when you have, you know, Mason Wynn knocking on the door, uh, Donovan, Gorman, you have other options. Yeah. And so uh, I, I think, and I think his, his, highest value for this team would be as a utility guy who plays outfield and infield you know he's and and you know uh maybe bats lead off against left-handed uh starters but then they're going to bring in right-handed relievers and you you probably don't want him batting lead off you probably want him in the nine hole so uh you know like i don't dislike edmund uh as a player I just try to have a clear-eyed view of what he is, and I don't trust his profile because his base running, he's very skilled at base running. I'm hoping the bigger bags add value there, but he has to get on base to leverage that skill, and I don't really trust his on-base skills, and I don't think he hits for enough power to really improve uh in, in a meaningful way as on base percentage. So yeah. um, I, I would be really happy if Mason Wynn is starting at shortstop by the end of the year. Donovan is the primary starter at second base and they just float Edmund around and he's like a 300 to 400 plate appearance guy. Like I would really like that as a player. I, I have a real problem with he's the everyday second baseman and leadoff hitter who gets 720 plate appearances. That's, yeah. And that's that's some bullshit and insane and 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 that's really, it's more recoiling from that type of pigeonholing, yeah. uh, that that fuels my view on him. Sure, and, and and you know, in fairness, I think they moved out of that leadoff thing pretty much last year. I mean, he's really yep. they, they really moved out of that. So that's they they've moved on from that. Um, you know, I'm with you pretty much on the over under. I'd probably go a little higher. I'd say. I'd say maybe 3.2, 3.3 is probably where I'd set my over-under, so not not too far off, but somewhere in that range. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head. I think part of what I think maybe you and I react both react to sometimes that um, maybe comes off as negativity towards Edmund, you know, um, over the last, you know, period of years, right, uh, people have really realized that the two things that hitters can do that uh, gives them the most success is get on base and hit the ball hard. And um, so that's what, uh, you know, the best hitters have really leaned into those two skills. Um, 
And, uh, you know, especially in with pitchers doing what pitchers do now, which is, um, you know, go really, really aggressively after strikeouts. Right. And um, now a lot of people don't like the aesthetics of what that's created in, in the game. And that's and that's fair. Um, and and yeah. uh, a lot of the people that don't like those aesthetics are, uh, you know, 55 plus broadcasters who we all have to listen to all the time. And um, I think what ends up happening is they really like to come to uh, the defense of a player like Tommy Edmond, who is not doing that. And so when they see a player like Tommy Edmond, who slaps the ball on the ground a lot, they say, oh, here is the here's the answer, because this is this guy's doing something different. And, and, you know, because to them, it's it's the balm to that aesthetic that they don't like. And so it, it, we, we have to listen to them saying, oh, this person's doing it the right way. This person's doing it the right way. When actually, no, they're not. That's that tends to, you know, that's that's not the most valuable you know thing that they're doing. And I think that's the thing that tends to frustrate you and I. And so it's not even a Tommy Edmonds specific thing because there's other players like that. And it's it's more just it's 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 something that these broadcasters, you know, tend to do and it just gets it it gets frustrating and and but it just kind of skews public perception as well sometimes about players with this type of of profile. So um All right, Ben. We've got uh I think it's our last question here. Uh, laughing man, Grego Gardner asks, a lot has been made of the new collective bargaining rules regarding rookies and how winning rookie of the year grants the team extra draft picks. This might have hastened Walker's call up to the big club, but might it also have the opposite effect on win, essentially incentivizing the Cardinals to keep him in the minors most of 2023. So he retains rookie eligibility next year. What do you think? Uh, there, there's probably some truth to that, but I, I think that that consideration uh, is very small in the Cardinals' mind, uh, in the front office and the decision makers. And like just with with Win in particular, you know, if Edmund goes into like last season, he went into a two month slump. I, I I think if we get like a six week. Edmund slump this year I think we might just it, the win era may very well just begin um, and uh, but right now they they have done with win what they have traditionally done with up and coming prospects and that is block them um, you know and so with win they have Edmund who's still not terribly expensive and is good at defense um, and is an incumbent who people seem to like, and he seems like a nice guy. And so I, I think if Edmund is okay and playing good defense, you know, they're just going to stick with Edmund because that's the path of least resistance. And I, I don't think they are going to overreact to spring training, although he clearly opened eyes on the coaching staff, uh, with his tools uh, and his skills. But I, I think they, their assessment of when heading into this off season was that he probably needed a full season in triple a. And I don't think spring training did much to change that. And I don't think the draft pick compensation is going to play much of a role. The, the number one driving factor on whether or not Mason Wynn plays this year is going to be Tommy Edmonds health. 
of number two factor, which is related to that, I think is going to be Tommy Edmonds production. And so if it gets bad enough, they'll move on to win, I think. But if it's okay, if it's, if it's perfectly cromulent, uh, you know, I think they're just going to roll with Edmund and then they'll probably, you will probably see some very similar posturing uh, with respect to shortstop and Mason Wynn as what they used with respect to a corner outfield position and Jordan Walker entering this year. Um, next uh, spring training, uh, if Wynn does not join the Cardinals this season. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, y- you know, I think, uh, I do think the draft pick compensation could have provided a, a little bit of incentive for the team to uh, add Walker um, to the opening day roster this year, as opposed to, you know, maybe giving him a, a few weeks in Memphis and then bringing him up, which uh, is maybe um, w- perhaps would have been more likely in in previous years. Um, I think it does nudge teams a little bit in that direction, and particularly a team like the Cardinals, who um, needs draft picks, you know, so much. And particularly in a situation, uh, the rare situation of a player like Walker, who clearly, if they have the you know the the kind of season that they are capable of very much could be uh you know a, a rookie of the year finalist for sure um so you could kind of nudge them there but i don't think it's going to kind of work on the other end of the spectrum and lead a team like the cardinals to leave a player down who would be helping them um you might see that for a club that really works in more of the window model, you know, because you might still see it. Again, you think back to the Cubs and the Chris Bryant thing, which was, again, really the the kind of case that led to some of this whole, uh, you know, this being in the CBA to some extent to like incentivize teams to, to not leave people down. But, um, you know, I could see a, a club that was very much in a not win now mode this year, but felt like, but we are going to be in a win mode now this year, possibly deciding rather than bringing up a, a, a talent midway through the year saying, well, we are going to hold them down until next year to take advantage of that. I think that's hypothetically still possible, but, um, the, the Cardinals do generally, I think, act in good faith with their prospects. And, and a lot of that is just that they are always trying to win. <laughs> and so they really do, I think, tend to, um, you know, really do do the best thing in general. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right. I, I don't think the Cardinals do much in terms of service time manipulation. And they have created a whole culture around, you know, the idea that if you do what we ask of you, you're going to get your shot with us. And they, they tend not to dilly dally. Um, and I, in fact, I think a lot of times they're, they're fairly aggressive uh, with their promotions. And I think Walker uh, is an example of that. Um, yep. And so uh, I am interested to see how aggressive they are with Mason Wynn. And I'm also interested to see how Mason Wynn responds to kind of his taste of big league camp and then being demoted. Is he going to be going out there to show he uh you know he belongs in major league baseball and is he going to apply pressure to the front office you know with his play and his production uh to promote him and so uh, i'm hoping ben that whatever the case they wait until after we have an opportunity to see him 
uh, here against the Iowa Cubs uh, this <laughs> season. So uh, if, if that is at all a factor, uh, please wait until after we get to watch him in person. Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Please, please think of think of us, the the fans in AAA towns. Um, (laughs) Well, uh, thank you to everybody who who sent uh, questions in. And and just a reminder, um, you can always uh, send us questions um, uh, on uh, Twitter is uh, the best way. Um, to do that, uh, we're at Cardinals Off Day. There, you can you can send us a question at any time, kind of, um, you know, between episodes. We do keep track of those and kind of keep those queued up for the next uh, the next show. We do uh, kind of occasionally we'll put out a call for questions, um, but you know, if you have them come up, feel free to fire it off. We'll uh, we'll keep track of it and we'll answer it. Um, you know, when next we open up the mailbag. Uh, ben, anything else before we wrap it up? Uh, no, uh, don't let the opening day result get you down. We got 161 more games to go, and that's really great news because we have 161 more games to go. Absolutely, and Ben and I will be back with you on the next Cardinals off day. Go Cardinals!